0: Good morning. If you haven't yet heard it, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship Church. It's a privilege to be here this morning and, you know, being reminded about people like that in countries where um, it is illegal both to share the gospel and to even be a Christian. It really is a privilege for us to be able to gather together openly in, you know, such a A public way and be able to worship together. So that's something that I think we take for granted, but hopefully we can enjoy that this morning. So we're going to be continuing in our Disciple Life sermon series that we started last week. Pastor Sam talked to us about how the Christian life is one that is meant to be a process of continual growth. We start one way, then Jesus saves us. And then he begins to transform us to become more like him. We grow in holiness as we're sanctified by his word and spirit. Today we're going to be continuing the series by talking about the importance of connecting with both the local church and with each other. This sermon series is meant to be a summary of what we believe that it means to be a disciple. Remember last week, Sam said the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 commands each of us to be a disciple that makes disciples. We believe that our mission statement here at Emmanuel Fellowship Church is kind of a good summary of what it means to be a disciple that makes disciples. We say, as Christ pours into you, he pours out of you. And that's what we're talking about as we go through this series And this idea that we're talking about today of connecting with each other really sits at the crossing point of that mission statement. Christ pours into us through his word and through other believers, and then he pours out of us into other believers and into the world around us. We use these three words, grow, connect, and share, to talk about this discipleship, process, and really all three of these things are intrinsically linked together. It takes all three to be a disciple who makes disciples, and they really feed into each other. I don't know how many of you have heard my testimony, but this is 100% my story. I grew up in a Christian home. I knew and believed early in my life that Jesus was my savior, that I was a sinner and needed him to be my savior and Lord and asked him to be so. I went to church, I read the Bible. I had read the Bible cover to cover several times by the time I graduated high school. I knew Jesus, I was a good Christian, but my faith was stagnant. I wasn't growing because I didn't know how to grow. In college, I went to church I went to a college small group, I had friends that were Christians, but I wasn't being discipled. All these relationships were very surface level. It was no wonder then that I never shared my faith with anyone else. It wasn't until coming to St. Louis and coming to Red Tree Church where I began to experience community and discipleship. I experienced older, more mature believers who were willing to pour into me. I experienced gospel-centered preaching, and I experienced a place that called me to mission and to share my faith. All of these things began to work together, and Jesus finally became real to me through experiencing his love through his people. I finally understood Jesus' love as I experienced people loving me like Jesus. Jesus. I finally began to understand why I was supposed to make him the center of my life. I finally began to grow as a result of that connection, and all of these things began to feed into each other. As I grew more in love with Jesus, my love for his people increased, and I became more connected to them. As I became more connected to them, my love for Jesus grew, and I began to want to share my faith with others. I began to experience mission and sharing in different ways, whether it was flying halfway across the world to go on mission trips or just to go to my own coworkers and neighbors and pray for them and share the gospel or even just to teach and pour into those in my own church. Now, experientially, I can tell you that all three of these things are interconnected because I've experienced it. As we grow more like Christ, we will want to connect with his people more. And as we connect with his people more, we will experience his love more and want to become more like him. And as we become more like him, we will want to connect with the people he loves more. And all of this cycle will then pour out of us, and we will want to share that love with others who need him. It's all interconnected. It's a part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to focus on that connected piece. And I'm sure most of us know Scripture is packed full of the importance of the ways that we're supposed to connect with our fellow believers. There are a ton of the one another's in Scripture, these ways that we are commanded to interact with one another. And theoretically, it should be easy. Scripture tells us to do it, so we should, right? Right? Scripture tells us to love one another sacrificially, so we should. Scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens, so we should. But it's usually not that easy. If we truly want to make a change in our hearts, if we truly want to become more like Christ, become a disciple who makes disciples and follow Jesus' commands, then I think we need to start at the center with our identity, Because it's really our identity, who we are, that shapes what we do. And when we are talking about these foundational truths of how Christ wants us to behave, they always come back to our our identity, which has been created and formed in us by him and is a reflection of who he is. So we need to start first with who he is. How does connecting with other believers come from who God is? I think most of us know the concept of the Trinity, that God is one God eternally existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I know some people mistakenly believe that this doctrine does not come from Scripture, which thankfully is not true. All three persons of the Trinitarian God are present in Scripture and show up all throughout Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses three through five, the apostle Paul says, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Here we see all three persons of God, each working united, but distinctly different in the way that they interact with our salvation. God the Father producing faith, God the Son producing hope, and God the Spirit bringing the gospel into our lives. Similarly, we see in the telling of Jesus' baptism, we see each of these three persons of the Trinity working together. This is from Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I love this picture we get here of the Trinity because they aren't focused on us, they're focused on each other. God the Father loves and is pleased with God the Son. God the Son is submitting to the will of God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit is being sent down and descending upon God the Son from God the Father. It gets a little confusing saying all of these God the, but I just love the beautiful image of the way that God has eternally existed in this perfect harmony and community within himself. He doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient. He has everything he needs within himself. So that brings me a question. If he doesn't need us, then why did he choose to create us? Well, I'm sure we all know the answer to this too. It's because simply he wanted to. I don't know that there's a better explanation than that. He didn't do it because he needed something from us. He created us because he wanted to show his love to someone. The important thing for us is that he created us in his image. If you look in the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We see right at the beginning that God creates us in his own image. The early church fathers believed that God here is speaking amongst the entire fullness of the Trinity when he uses this plural language. He fashions us in the image of himself. This has a lot of implications for who we are and who our identity is based on. But I think the one that's important for us today is that God made us in his own image to desire relationship and connection. We see in the first couple of chapters of Genesis that God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. He spends time with them. He talks with them. This shows us that the design for humans was to be in direct relationship with God but we also see that God uses the creation narrative to tell us that we need connection with each other, too. In chapter 2, verse 18, we see that God creates mankind, he creates Adam, and then for the first time, he declares that something is not good. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't suddenly realize that he had created Adam, and Adam was was not supposed to be alone. No, he started with one person so that he could declare that we weren't complete by ourselves. God was making this declaration for all of us to know that we were made for connection with each other. It doesn't matter if you're extroverted or introverted. It doesn't matter what your Enneagram personality profile number is. You were made for connection with God and with each other. When sin entered the world, it warped and destroyed a lot of things, including relationships. But that doesn't change the core of who we were made to be. And when we are saved and become believers, that purpose is restored. Our connection with God and connection with each other is restored, and we are called back into those relationships. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to camp out for Our time this morning. The New Testament often represents this connection with each other by describing us as the body of Christ. Last week, Pastor Sam started talking from Ephesians and he talked about this idea of growing in Christ. He presented the gospel message and how it's supposed to grow us. And then Ephesians starts to do the uh, what then, and it starts to talk about unity and togetherness in the church. We're going to use 1 Corinthians 12 to discuss this, because Scripture, the Apostle Paul here, uses a very interesting analogy of the body of Christ to mean the church. So we're going to start reading in verse 12 and go through verse 27. Scripture says, For just as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this analogy that you've given. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our eyes and show us what you have for us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let me read that last verse again. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So you, person sitting in this room, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are individual members of the body of Christ. That means you are the church. We need to quickly make sure we're on the same page about this analogy of the body and it being the church. I'm sure you've heard this before, but I think it's worth saying again. You, as a saved believer in Christ, are a member of the body of Christ. You're a member of his church. That membership is guaranteed, and it means you are a part of what's called the universal church of Jesus Christ, which isn't any particular denomination or group. It's all of the believers of Jesus Christ throughout history. But the problem with the idea of the universal church and trying to talk about something like this, is it's too broad to be applicable with a scripture passage like this. How can we possibly apply the idea that we're all members of a body and thus have responsibilities to each other when we're talking about a group that includes me, a Brazilian Christian, a Chinese Christian who lived 100 years ago, and a Corinthian Christian who lived 2,000 years ago? We can't. We have to understand that the Bible further differentiates the body of Christ into local churches, and we see that throughout the New Testament, that the people gather together into these local churches, and all of these books are written to these local churches. So we need to make sure we're on the same page, that Paul is talking about your connection to the other people in this room, to this local church. So let's jump into the text here. Again, this one is a kind of long and a little bit uh, tough to read. So let me just kind of read through a couple of verses again. We'll talk about them. It says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed the body is not one part but many. So I think there's really two important points for us that Paul starts off this passage making. Number 1 is that the body of Christ is made up of a bunch of equal parts. He says this is about unity, not division. That though there are many parts to the body, each one is equal. We have all one bodies that we were all baptized by one spirit. We are all equal. Everyone in the church is important. Everyone has the same spirit. And together, all of our individual parts make up a functioning body. The second thing that I think we want to pull out of what Paul is saying is that he's, yes, using the body of Christ as a metaphor, but he also compares us as a body to Christ. You see that in the first verse? He says, so also is Christ. I think what Paul is saying here is that we, yes, as an analogy, as the metaphorical body of Christ, are also the functional body of Christ here right now in our culture. When we are working together as a local church, we represent Christ to the world around us. And that is true whether we are healthy or whether we are unhealthy. People are watching us. That can be good or bad, and sometimes both. There are countless stories of people who have been hurt by churches that were not operating in a healthy, functional way as the body of Christ. But I think and hope that each one of us in this room also has a story of the success of a local church operating as the functional, healthy body of Christ. This is important. What we do together, how we operate together as a local church, is important. It reflects Christ to the world around us. Let's keep reading verses 15 through 18. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. So Paul compares each one of us to a part of this body. Are you an ear? Are you a foot? Are you a pinky toe? I wouldn't suggest you dive that deeply into the analogy because it starts (coughs) to get kind of gross. But the point is... Body parts don't do well when they're detached from the body. This goes back to who we are, our identity and creation. We weren't made to be alone. We weren't made to be detached from the body. We were made to be connected together. I think we've probably all seen this trend that can crop up where people have this thing where they start to become insular in their faith. It's kind of the, I'm good with just me and Jesus mentality. That mentality is wrong and honestly, usually sinful. Remember when God created Adam, they had a relationship. God and Adam were together. They were hanging out. They were talking. They had this relationship and God still said that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Yes, you were 100% created to be in relationship with God, but you were also 100% created to be in relationship with each other. If we think about it, it makes sense. I would not react well if, I came to, if someone came to me and said, hey, I want to be your friend, I want to hang out with you all the time, but I really don't like your family and don't want to ever see them. That wouldn't work. How do you think Jesus feels when people want to say that they love him and spend time with him, but they don't like his family? It just doesn't work. A body part is useless when it's detached from the body. At worst, it dies. At best, it can't fulfill its function and do what it was made to do. Now, the good thing is, you're all here, so I'm probably just preaching to the choir. This all makes sense. All right, let's keep going. Verses 19 through 27 says, And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So we see here that Paul is highlighting not just how important each part of the body is to each other but also that it's silly to complain about your role and which part of the body you are. A complete body needs different parts to survive, and each one plays an important role. Just as God has arranged each part of our physical body to work together in different functions and to make a healthy whole body, he has arranged each part of our spiritual church body to fulfill a different function, and we need to be operating in our role so we can be a healthy, complete body. A foot shouldn't try to be an ear, and it shouldn't try to leave the body because it isn't an eye. A foot is important to the body as a foot. Similarly, an eye shouldn't try to get rid of a foot because it isn't an eye. Each part of the body is necessary for the body to operate. So let's talk a little more plainly and not use some of these body analogies. For whatever reason that you are here, if you call Emmanuel Fellowship Church your home, then God has placed you here for a reason. And he expects you to be using your gifts and serving one another. Without you, the church is not complete. It can't function to its most healthy. We need each other. We need you in order to be fully healthy and useful for the kingdom of God. Each of the rest of us is weaker if you aren't serving and operating in your gifts. And we shouldn't be jealous of someone else's gifts or look down on someone else for not having the same gifts we do. We're called to work together. We're called to unity, to love, to build one another up. Now I think Paul addresses something here that it can sometimes be a little bit of a temptation to look at a church as a hierarchy. The practicality of our local church is that we believe the Bible tells us the church is meant to have these offices of deacon and elder. And we pay staff people to make sure that the business side of the church gets done. And that can look like a hierarchy with the elders on top, But I think scripture clearly teaches that the elders and deacons are servants to the body. Paul gives us this really interesting analogy here of the weaker parts receiving more honor and the less honorable parts receiving more honor. Essentially, we put clothing on certain parts of our body and treat them with more respect. Paul says this is right, and he says we should treat each other the same way. The church isn't some hierarchy where the elders are on top and receive the most honor. In fact, Paul says that just like most things in the kingdom of God, this should be flipped on its head and is the weaker members that deserve more honor and care. So what does that mean for us? All of us have a responsibility to look around at each other, to look for those who are less knowledgeable or less mature than ourselves, And treat them with greater honor and respect to seek to disciple them and bring them up alongside of us. There aren't any clarifications to that. Every single one of us has that responsibility. Paul says that there should be no division, but rather that we all should have the same concern for another. And he tells us why. Because if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we are all honored together. This is such a beautiful kingdom-minded way to live, to look at others more important than ourselves, to look for those that we can help, and to bring them up alongside, to honor them and care for them. So Paul gives us this really cool analogy of the body and how we're supposed to operate together in our local church. The point of this sermon series is to get super practical And talk plainly about how we can apply these things in our lives. If you were here last week, Sam said some pretty harsh things in some ways. And it was pretty hard hitting. I probably won't be that that harsh today. But I do have four things that I want to talk about. Four practical ways that each of us can look at each other and try to build connection. What are each of us called to do? in order to make sure that our local version of the body of Christ is operating in a healthy and effective way. There's four points that I think we each need to pay attention to and think about. The first is pretty simple. Spend time together. Attend things. For us here, that means Sunday mornings and gospel community as the baseline. We are commanded in Scripture to not neglect to meet together. So meet together. You can't build connections to one another if you don't see each other. And it's important to worship together, to learn together, to spend time together seeking deeper connections and intimacy. We've seen this growing trend in our country where church attendance has dropped for a long time, but it plummeted with COVID and has not recovered as much as people expected it to. Each of us, I think especially after the COVID thing, have had to take a look at our lives and figure out where we want to prioritize our time, what we think is important for us. Our church is going to offer a lot of different ways for us to meet together. We don't expect all of you to be at all of them. But I do think that a baseline of Sunday morning attendance and gospel community is a fair morning attendance and gospel community is a fair expectation. Second thing that I think we can pull out of this is how can we serve and operate in our spiritual gifts towards one another if we don't know what our spiritual gifts are? You need to know how God is moving in your life and how he wants to work through you towards others. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, then come and talk to one of the pastors or grab someone and ask them to disciple you in this way, or ask your gospel community to all take a spiritual gifts assessment together. This is important. If you're a believer, then God has specifically called you to pour into a local church, to connect with a local church, to serve in a certain way, and he has gifted you in order to do so. If you're choosing this church to be that church, then each one of the other people in this room needs you. God has called you to pour into each other's lives by using the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to use through you. And you need to know what those gifts are so you can serve and do your part. Our church can't be healthy if the individual parts of our body don't know what function they're supposed to have. So you need to learn your gifts. And then, of course, you need to apply them. You need to use them. If you aren't serving your church in some way, then... You simply aren't doing what God has called you to do. If you are a part of this body, then we cannot operate fully without you doing your part. There are a ton of different ways that you can serve each other. And God has specifically set this up so each one is just as important as the other. God has called us to honor the person doing the lawn care as much as the person teaching our kids downstairs, as much as the person working the sides, as much as the person emptying the trash can, as much as the person going to do senior care in our care center outreach. Each one of us is called to serve, and each one of us is gifted in a different way to serve each other. The third thing is that God has called you to be a disciple that makes disciples. I think that means that you are specifically called to look at the people in this room, the people in our church, in two different ways. Number one, I think you're called to look at the people in your church and ask, who can help disciple me so that my life continues to grow more like Jesus? And number two, who can I help disciple so that their life continues to grow more like Jesus? Being a disciple of Jesus doesn't stop. We all have a long way to go until our lives perfectly look like Jesus. We won't get there until we are glorified. There are people in this church who can help you along that process, who can help disciple you and draw you more and more into your life looking like Jesus. Similarly, this this great commission in Matthew 28 doesn't just mean presenting the gospel to unbelievers. Jesus said that we are supposed to create disciples and teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. That means we are called to help create people whose lives look perfectly like Jesus. So we need to be entering into discipleship relationships with one another, both to be discipled at times and to disciple others at times. Now I know that sometimes it can feel like we aren't equipped to disciple someone. That could be scary. But I guarantee you, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you are equipped to disciple someone else. The fourth thing, and I saved this one for last on purpose, I think we need to take a serious look at our commitment level to each other. And yes, part of that does mean looking at membership. There isn't anything magical about membership at our church. It doesn't get you anything special. It doesn't put you on a pedestal above anybody else. But it does show that you are committed to one another. In a small church like this, connection, community, and discipleship are difficult. It doesn't happen overnight, it takes work. And it takes a level of intimacy and trust between two people that most of us just simply aren't going to extend to a stranger which means we have to get to know one another, and we have to grow in our trust for one another. And that is honestly one of the main reasons for membership. So you know who is committed to you. Commitment grows trust. Membership is simply you saying that you aren't going anywhere, that you're going to do your best to follow the commands of Scripture to love one another. That helps build trust. It builds intimacy, and it builds relationship with each other. We're going to spend a couple of minutes in reflection, and I would encourage each of you to think through those four things and ask God to reveal to you how you're doing in them. Ask him how he wants you to connect to your local church, to each other, to the other people in this room. I would encourage you to seriously seek an answer to this. Even if you don't get an answer in the next couple minutes, take it home and keep praying and asking God how he wants you to connect to one another. He created you to need connection with each other. He brought you here for this time and this place and these people. He did that for a reason. He wants us to be a healthy, functional church body, which means we all need to be playing our part let's spend a couple of minutes in reflection and prayer if you want somebody to pray with you then craig and i are here we're available or you can just grab someone sitting near you and ask them to pray with you let's spend a couple of minutes in reflection and then we'll continue on in communion